Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that you will help us to be really focused on your word today, to dig deep and to apply it to our lives so that we may truly live as people who have been buried and raised again in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I once heard a pastor say that there are two topics uh, for which when he preaches on, he knows that the congregation will be very uh, guilty about, uh, very ashamed, they will be troubled whenever they preach on this topic. And one of those two topics, well, is the topic that we read about in today's passage, prayer and evangelism. Now, if I were to ask you this question, anybody here do prayer really well? Put up your hands. Anybody who thinks that they are really good in evangelism? Put up your hands. Right? Obviously, none of us feel that way, isn't it? it will be, we feel very guilty whenever we hear about prayer and evangelism. We think about prayer and we think of those people uh, like Hudson Taylor, who apparently uh, I was uh, listening or I think I read about in a book, where after a long journey uh, traveling through as a missionary in China, he would reach his destination and when everybody went to sleep, he would read the Bible from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock and pray uh, with a candlelight. Anybody do that recently? No, right? Oh, well, it makes you feel very guilty, right? And even when I was in theological college, I know a friend of mine who was a Samoan and every morning he would wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. Every morning without fail. Now that made me feel really guilty. Okay? I don't know about you, but I have not woken up at 5 o'clock to do anything uh, uh, in my uh, recent memory, okay? except maybe look after my children when they were very young. And when you think about evangelism, you think, okay, you know, like people like Billy Graham or George Richfield, you think, oh, no, those are evangelists and uh, we are nothing in comparison. So today, the topic is about prayer and evangelism. But I think that Paul's point, or the Bible's point, is not for us to feel guilty, or to feel troubled, or to feel ashamed. But I think that as we look at the flow of the passage, he's trying to say that actually prayer and evangelism are part of the normal, the normal Christian life. Because over the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the book of Colossians, and uh, I've put up here the slides, right? So, Remember chapter 1, uh, he reaffirmed once again what Jesus had done, who Jesus was, that he was the Lord of creation, the Lord of the church, that he was the only source of salvation. Right? And that, as it says here in verse 22, and he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Remember that was the key part of chapter 1, that salvation was not what we do, but everything was done in Jesus, and that He was God, He was the Lord of creation, the sustainer of creation, but yet He died for us. Do you remember that? And in chapter 2 and 3, uh, go on, He said that there was a big problem in the church of uh, Colossae because there were these false teachers, and false teaching which was infiltrating the church, which was threatening their salvation. So in verse 8 of chapter 2, He said, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Okay, that was the warning about the teaching. And then he went on to teach to warn them about the false teachers, not just the false teaching. In verse 18, he said, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. So we learned there that if anybody took us away from Jesus Christ, 
They were holding us captive or kidnapping us. They were hijacking us and they were disqualifying us from eternal life. And if you look up here in the slide, basically what was happening was, in chapter 1, salvation was all about what Jesus had done for us. So salvation comes from God through Jesus to us. But we learn in chapter 2 that the danger of false teaching was we try to bring ourselves to heaven. So you notice the arrows, right? The arrows go the other way. Uh, Now we have to do various things in order to be right with God. And uh, the Bible is very clear in the next slide that this was a gospel plus, right? So it was adding on all these added regulations and rules uh, onto the gospel of Jesus Christ. So food laws, uh, holiday rules and regulations, uh, secret knowledge, all these things were added on to salvation. And then, in chapter 3 onwards, in chapter 2 onwards, sorry, and 3, we learned that actually, as we are in Jesus, we must continue to live in Jesus. So the key power is chapter 2 verse 6, where it says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live in Him. And the word here was live, was walk, isn't it? Continue to walk in Jesus. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith, of faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. <clears throat> and in chapter 3, it emphasized the idea of being united in Jesus. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above and not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden, in, hidden with Christ in God. And you see, that's where prayer and evangelism fit in. Because prayer and evangelism are not optional extras, right? This is not like the concluding thing. And he says, you know, it might be a good idea to do a bit of praying, right? Uh, may I suggest to you that you should do a little bit of evangelism? No. What he's saying is, prayer and evangelism are the essentials are the foundational bits of the Christian life. If we are united with Christ, if we walk in Jesus, we will pray and we will evangelize. It is part of being in Jesus Christ. Right? So the next slide uh, basically shows what I was saying. Right? If you walk in Jesus, if you are united in Jesus, you will pray and you will evangelize. And that is why, as we come to the passage itself, Next slide. In verse 2 and in verse 5, the main command, the main verb there is devote yourselves to prayer and to be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Those are the key commands of this passage and it frames, it gives the passage a structure, right? Because what he's trying to say is we must live this way if you are now united in Christ. You must live this way if you are walking in Jesus. And when you think about the very first thing, prayer, you cannot pray unless you are united with Jesus. We cannot say to God, Dear Father, unless you are part of the Son. And that's why it doesn't make sense for us to say to someone who is not a Christian, you know, pray to God for your help or pray to God for this. Because unless you are united with Jesus Christ, you are unable to actually call God your Father. So, what does it mean to be devoted in prayer. How is it that we're to be devoted in prayer? Well, whenever I think of the word devoted, right? It shows my age a bit, right? I always think of that Olivia Newton-John song. Anybody know Olivia Newton-John? No, you all know only... I also don't know who you know. Uh, right. 
But living in St. John, always, I remember this, saying this song, right? You can listen to it on Gold 90 FM. Uh, hopelessly devoted to you. Okay, you ever, ever heard the song, Hopelessly Devoted to You? And, it, you know, whenever I think of the word of devoted, you always think of love, isn't it? Love. But devoted here is not love prayer, but devoted here is the idea of being dedicated to a particular, uh, you know, uh, thing that you do. Like, you know, someone is devoted to art. So I remember reading the Straits Time where this man was, uh, I don't know, I can't even remember his name, but he's one of the most foremost artists in Singapore. And he was saying that for the last two decades, every morning when he wakes up, he eats his breakfast at 8 o'clock or something, or 7 o'clock, and he starts painting at 8 o'clock, and he doesn't stop painting all the way till night time. See, he is, he is a person who is devoted to his art. And that's what Paul is saying to us, that's what the Bible is saying to us, engage your mind, do not be distracted, apply yourself to prayer. That prayer is hard work, right? Don't you think prayer is hard work? I mean, for me, I find prayer hard work. I, I presume you all find prayer hard work too, unless I'm unusual. Because you know, when you sit down and watch television, or you read a newspaper, or you surf the internet, and you sit down and you say, I'm just going to be here for a little while, right? Actually, my kids are not here, so okay. My kids always say, ah, it's just a few minutes, right? Sit down in front of the computer. Then, wow, two hours later, you're still there, right? And same thing when you're watching TV. I'm just going to sit down for a while and watch this. And you say, okay, I'll watch this first TV program. Oh, then the next TV program comes on. And it's two hours. But then when you sit down to pray, you know, you're praying, praying, okay, okay, I must really pray. God says I must be devoted to praying. So I'll pray. And after a while, I think, oh, I'm going to have a lunch today. Huh? Oh, yeah. Why is it the golf ball doesn't go straight? Oh, yeah, what is, the, what is the meaning of the ending of inception? What does it really mean? Right. And then you look at the clock. Five minutes. Right? <laughs> That's what prayer is like, isn't it? And I think that that's why it says that we must be devoted to prayer. Because prayer takes effort. Prayer takes application. Prayer takes a, a, a focus of your mind. And that's why, I think in verse 12, uh, the next slide, of the same thing, right? He quotes Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm, in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, I don't think that Epaphras is some super, super, duper spiritual person, okay? That, you know, he's sort of saying, look, this Epaphras, he has this super gift of praying. But I think that wrestling in prayer and being devoted in prayer are almost one and the same thing. Because wrestling, here the word is literally wrestling or struggling in a physical combat, means effort. It's hard. Now, I don't know, have you, any of you wrestled recently? No, right? I don't think so. But I remember wrestling with my children as they got older and older until it became a bit too dangerous for me. Right? <laughs> but, you know, when you wrestle, if you ever wrestle with someone, it is really tiring. You're sweating. You are, it's, it's, it's effort. And if you haven't wrestled, you just look at these two people, okay? This is what wrestling is, not WWE, okay? This is the real wrestling that Paul has in mind here. This is Olympic wrestling. Okay, where you literally grapple and you, you, know, you try to pin the person down. Now you look at the effort that it takes for these people to pin someone down. That is what it takes to pray. Prayer doesn't come naturally to us. Prayer is not easy. We must be devoted to it. We must struggle with prayer. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. That's what the Bible says. So, 
In your own prayer life, do you pray this way? Do you struggle with prayer? Do you apply yourself with prayer? Do you focus yourself when you're praying? Well, that's what, that's what the attitude of prayer must be. That is how we must pray. But then he goes on to say, pray and be watchful and thankful. Uh, next slide. Right, being watchful and thankful. Now, how does he mean being watchful and thankful? Now, the first rule of reading the Bible is, obviously, if you don't understand what the word means, we must go back into the context of the letter. Right? Where, where, where in the letter has he says things about how we must be watchful about something? That will give us a clue about what this word means. So, earlier on, uh, Paul had said that their identity, what was the identity of the Christian again? Remember what I said? We are united with Christ. We are buried with Jesus. We are raised with Jesus. That's who we are. We are totally subsumed in Jesus Christ. Christ is in us and we are in Jesus. But, uh, next slide. Now that we are in Jesus in the present, what do we look for to in the future? What do we look forward to in the future? Well, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears then you, will, you also will appear with Him in glory. Right? So, the Bible is not about just the past or the present, but it's about the future. Because we are now united in Jesus, when Jesus comes again, we will be with Him in glory. So I think that's what the idea of being watchful is. We have to be watchful for the future, for when Jesus comes. It may be that He's talking about being watchful in terms of the wrong teaching, but I think watchful... In, in the context of the Bible, seems to always have the idea of a future orientation. Watch for something in the future. So look at what it says here in uh, Epaphras, right? Epaphras prays that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Why? Because he's looking forward to the future. He's looking forward to when Jesus comes back so that they will be firm, mature, perfect in their faith. Now, Another way of understanding words in the Bible is where if you don't understand the word, you should look up where this idea or where this word appears in other parts of the Bible. And Jesus especially always uses the same word of watching in terms of looking forward to the future. So look at what it says here uh, in, in Matthew 24, Matthew 13 and Revelation. Look what it says here. Therefore, was it too small? Oh, the, the words I've highlighted are exactly the same word as uh, what uh, Colossians says, right? Being watchful. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect Him. Okay, the idea of keeping watch here is looking into the future, right? Matthew 13. No one knows that hour, sorry, the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, <coughs> nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Okay, same word, I keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, 
Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the crow rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Right? So the same attitude is in, in view here, but the idea of looking for Jesus. In Revelation chapter 16, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake or keeps watch and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Okay, so the idea here is that when we pray, we pray with a future orientation. We pray with Jesus coming back in mind. Now, is that how you pray? When you pray, you pray with that future orientation of Jesus coming back. Because I think that that's what the idea here is, isn't it? Be devoted to pray, struggling prayer, but pray with a view to Jesus coming back. It all makes sense because he says pray with thankfulness. Be watchful with thankfulness. Uh, that's what the, um, the NIV says, pray and be thankful, right? Being watchful and thankful, but the, the, the real translation is the idea of being watchful with thankfulness. Now again, why be thankful? What is the idea of thankfulness? Who are we thanking? Well, again, context tells us in chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Next slide. Right, that he, they were told to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, the whole idea here is if we are watchful of Jesus coming back, we will also be thankful. Can you see how those two things link together? It's like a dynamic relationship. Because you know that when Jesus comes back, you will be with him in glory. Not because of who you are, what you have done, because you are so special or so lovable. No, because Jesus has rescued you out of the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. So therefore, is that how you pray? Do you pray with that, the end in view of Jesus coming back? So one of the um, prayers I have today, I have, this, uh, I have this thing. Have you ever seen this? The kitchen prayer. Okay? I don't know where I got this from, but I was hanging in my kitchen. The kitchen prayer. Bless my little kitchen, Lord, and those who enter it. May they find naught but joy and peace and happiness therein. Amen. Now, I see this is not a prayer being watchful of Jesus coming, isn't it? Because it's very much a present-day centered prayer. A prayer where people come into my kitchen and they will find peace and joy and happiness. But, but really, the Christian prayer always prays with a long-term view, with a view of Jesus coming back. And that is why when Paul starts saying pray and be watchful and thankful, he then looks to the issue of praying for evangelism, praying for open doors. Because if Jesus is going to return, what's the most important thing? Not food in the kitchen, but food for eternal life, isn't it? And that's why verse 3 and 4, if you read verse 3 and 4, and pray for us too, it says, that we, that God may open a door for our message, 
so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now here, if Jesus is going to return, then what is the priority of prayer? What should I be praying for? I should be praying for open doors for the message. Now, open doors could be understood a few ways, right? Open doors could be just evangelistic opportunities. But I think open doors here means more than just evangelistic opportunities. God, please give me a chance to share the gospel with people. No, I don't think so. I think it means more than that. It means God, may the door be open in people's hearts to receive the gospel. So that Andrew is here, right? I just, I just don't pray that God give me a chance to speak to Andrew about the gospel. No, I pray that God, God, you may open Andrew's heart so that the gospel may go in. Because, as we've been reading the book of uh, Colossians, the gospel is not some neutral, purposeless, goalless object. The gospel has a purpose. The gospel is to bear fruit in people's hearts. Right? The, the gospel is not meant to be left on your shelf, right, doing nothing. The gospel is to penetrate people's hearts so that they will come to salvation. Chapter 1, verse 6. Look what it says. Oh, sorry, back there again. Right, it says, All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, understood God's grace in all its truth. See, people often think that um, prayer is just some secondary object, right? That uh, in terms of evangelism. So we just heard Richard and Catherine are going to, to Japan. So we think, okay, they are going to do the hard work of evangelism. But actually, when you look at this passage, the prayer from Singapore, when we pray for them, is is as equally as important as them living in Japan and sharing the gospel. Because it is the prayer of open doors to people's hearts that actually completes the job of the gospel, isn't it? We can tell the gospel as much as you want, but until the heart is open, until there's an open door for the gospel to bear fruit in people's lives, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. So I remember... Uh, Richard Baxter, uh, who is a very famous writer, I, I shared his book a few weeks ago, said that when he tries to share the gospel with people, uh, usually his friends have 15 other friends who are actually enemies of the gospel, who are masquerading as his friends, who are objecting to everything he says. And uh, even if you demolish one argument, there will always be another argument. And whenever he tries to share the gospel with people, their objections will shift and swing and move and change as their mood takes them. And when all else fails, this is what Richard Baxter says, his friends will say, I don't care what you others say, I will not listen to you. And when he, you know, he was lamenting how hard it is for people to come to faith. Well, how will someone come to faith then? It is only when God opens their heart. When God responds to our prayers, their hearts are open that the gospel actually bears fruit. And that's why he prays for clarity. Because if it is God who opens the heart, then all he needs to do is bring the message to them clearly, isn't it? That's what he does. He doesn't need to be funnier. He doesn't need to be more interesting. He doesn't need to be more entertaining. He just needs to be clear and allow God to do the work. You know, it's not like, you know, you ever watch The Simpsons? Have you watched The Simpsons? It's this cartoon comedy thing, The Simpsons, a bit older, right? 
I, I, I live in the in the 80s maybe, or 70s. Or, but you know the Simpsons? The cartoon thing? So there's one episode of the Simpsons where Homer Simpson, you all know Homer Simpson. Lah, and he's watching some situation comedy on television and he's not finding it very funny. So he goes to the TV and goes, Be funnier! Be funnier! Right? And, you see, that's not what uh, we have to be, isn't it? We don't have to be funnier in order to get the gospel to people. We just have to be clear. Just as Paul was saying, pray for clarity because God is the one that opens the heart. So, what is your prayer life like? Is your prayer life consistent with being united with Christ and walking in Him? Well, if you're walking in Jesus and you're united with Jesus, then you should be devoted to praying. You should be watchful of Jesus' return and thankful and praying for open doors. Now, I think that's a, a few practical things that are helpful. And I, I just share from my own life and my own experience. And I, I want to say first of all that my prayer life is not good at all. But these are some of the things which help, my, help me in my, my lack of good prayer time. I think the first thing is, if you want to be devoted to something, you need to set a time to do it, isn't it? Unless you plan to, to pray, you will not pray, right? Uh, this is saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, isn't it? Right? So, if you don't set a time to pray consistently during the day, then it will not happen because day after day, you'll find yourself five minutes before you go to sleep thinking, I haven't prayed today, maybe I should say something and he's like, dear father, and then you're, you're gone, right? Okay? You need to pray. And you need to set a time. I mean, it could be in the afternoon, it could be, the, uh, you know, it could be lunchtime, it could be in the morning, it could be after dinner. But you need to set a time to, pr- to, to pray. And I also think it's important that you need to set a place to pray. A good, consistent place to pray is, is, is helpful in terms of creating the habit of being devoted to prayer. So for me, I always only pray in my, my, you know, in, in my bedroom. Okay, or next to, next to my bed, or I, I recently found that actually I find I pray better if, I, if I'm actually on my knees. Because for some reason, if I'm on my knees, I don't get so distracted. Right? So I put the pillow there and I kneel down and I pray. And I just find it really helps me in my prayer life. It might not help you at all, okay? What I do find not helpful is lying down. Okay? If you're lying down and praying, generally it's not very good for you. And also, I think uh, it's very good to pray, pray for for things with a view of the future, isn't it? Because what I find is, if I just sit down and I just, I'm going to pray now, after five minutes, there's nothing to pray for. Because there is no structure, there's no application in my prayer life. So these are some ideas that I've got from various people, um, primarily uh, Don Carson. Uh, he was sharing this before, so I found it very helpful. So what he suggested was you get a prayer diary. So this is my prayer diary. Actually, it's not really a diary, but it's just a, it's not, it's not really that thick. Lah. But what I do is, I, I, it's divided into long-term, medium-term, and short-term. right? And, and I basically slide in a piece of paper. So for my long-term prayers, these are things that I pray for all the time. So this piece of paper here, I've had for like 20 years, I think. I pray for myself, in terms of spiritual things. I pray for my children. I pray for my wife. I pray for my father, who's alive. My, wife, my mom's dead now, so I've crossed her off. I pray for my grandfather who's still alive. I pray for my in-laws. Those are all long-term prayers, right? And you pray for things, and I constantly add things which I pray for, like the areas of spiritual life that I want them to grow in. And then there's medium-term things. Uh, things like, uh, which are slightly less long, but still very important. Maybe missionaries and things like that. And uh, you know, then there's shorter-term things. So like the, 
the prayer bulletin from our church or prayer bulletin from my missionary college or just little things that I write down on a, on a piece of paper for people's short-term things, maybe operations or sicknesses or whatever. And that sort of gives you structure, isn't it? Because then you know what to, to pray for. And I think that also very important is to pray biblical prayers because unless we read the Bible in conjunction with our praying, we end up praying very superficial prayers, don't you think? So I just pray for my health, I pray for my job, I pray for uh, material things. But when I read the Bible at the same time as I pray, it reminds me of being watchful of Jesus returning. So once again, I've recommended this a few times. Uh, this is the, the, the reading guide I have from Don Carson, For the Love of God, where it gives you uh, a few readings that you should read every day. And I try to follow them, and sometimes I miss it if I'm sick or I'm slack, but I, I still try to follow it the next time I get to it. But sometimes you find that it's very boring, right? Because this week, read through Leviticus, and then read through uh, something else. You think, oh, well, I don't get anything out of it, right? So, I also have uh, this book, on the book of Psalms, which when I get bored, and I find it's not really interesting, I don't really want to read about the construction of the temple, then I, I, I'll, I'll read through Psalms, right? And I'll pray through that particular Psalm. Uh, if, you're not, if I'm not interested in that, then sometimes I have a book on Proverbs. So, I'll just read through Proverbs and I'll, I'll pray through whatever proverb that I'm reading on. Okay? And it's also helpful, this is another suggestion that I got from someone else, is that if you have a different Bible that you pray through. So, um, some of you have Bibles that you bring to church. Right? And you're very familiar with it. But it's always good to have another Bible, which maybe a slightly different translation. Wait, when you read it, it seems different. It seems fresh. Because, you know, if you're always reading the same thing, it's like, okay, ah, I read Colossians chapter 4 today. Oh, Bible reading for today. My, my, my Bible reading guide is Colossians chapter 4. You think, ah, okay, I read it already, right? But if you read another version, you need another Bible, it's, it's different. It's fresh. It's new. And maybe it will give you more uh, encouragement to pray through it. So I think that that's what we have to do, isn't it? We have to keep trying new things because prayer is difficult. We have to struggle with it. We have to force ourselves into the discipline of praying. Not because we want to impress God or we're super spiritual, but because we are in Jesus. We are walking with Jesus. We are united with Jesus. And this is what we are called to do. Now the next thing is, as Christians, up here, is that we are told that we must be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Making the most of every opportunity. Now the word wise here is a command, right? It's not a suggestion. He says you must act in a wise way with outsiders. And how are you to be wise? Uh, the way you are wise is to make the most of every opportunity. Now as Singaporeans, we should be very familiar with making the most of every opportunity. Uh, the word here, making the most of every, every opportunity, is, is, a, is a word used in terms of where you're shopping in the marketplace or going to the supermarket or whatever and buying the cheapest thing. And Singaporeans are very good, right? I mean, if you, when I used to go to Malaysia, I used to go to KL, Rambang, when my in-laws were alive. And you can always see the Singaporeans, right? And how do you recognize Singaporeans? Because they're always saying, cheap, cheap, right? Okay, everything is cheap. Or maybe you have some other Singaporeans and they're really good at spotting, spotting the best deals in the marketplace or on the stock market. Or, you know, they're really good at buying the cars when the COE is very cheap or buying property or going to the Natas travel fair and getting a round America trip for less than $1,000 or something, right? So, or even going to the IT fair and getting a computer for like uh, 
you know, $200, who knows, right? But that is the attitude that we should have in being wise towards outsiders. Right? We, we, you know, we shouldn't just be wise in terms of buying the cheapest thing or the best value thing. It is wise in terms of seeing opportunities to share Jesus. Because there is an urgency, the time is short. Jesus is going to come back again someday and we must make the most of the time that we have here today. Now, how are we supposed to do that? It says there in verse 6, We must let our conversation be always full of grace and season with salt, so that we may know, you may know how to answer everyone. Now again, what does it mean to be full of grace? Grace. Remember the context is very important, so you go back to the earlier parts of Colossians. See, when is grace mentioned? Where, well, what is he talking about speaking of grace? And I think that grace is mentioned in two ways, isn't it? It, it's the, it is what we talk about. So in chapter 1, uh, next slide, chapter 1 it says that the gospel is all about God's grace, right? Uh, the gospel has been bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace. Right? God's grace in all its truth. So what should we talk about? The content is God's grace, God's love for people, God's compassion for people. But it also can be used in terms of being gracious and gentle in the way that we talk to people. So in chapter 3 verse 8, he instructs people that they must rid themselves of the way that they used to live, right? No more anger, no more rage, no more slander, no more filthy language. Do not lie to one another. These are not gracious ways of talking. So the point is, there is no point shouting or being angry or out-arguing someone to the kingdom of God, no. It calls for talking about God's grace, the content, in a gracious way, in a gentle way, in a patient way, in a way that is uplifting to the person. Then he goes on to say that it must be seasoned with salt. Our conversation, our lifestyle must be seasoned with salt. Now salt uh, can be both a flavoring, you know, a, a condiment, a seasoning, uh, to make things taste nice, or salt can also be a preservative. Uh, before the time of refrigerators, people would put salt into things to stop them from corrupting, right? So the idea of salt and light, like preserving the world from evil, darkness or wickedness. So I think that's very important, isn't it, that we must be salty Christians. We must make the gospel attractive in the way we live and also we must be wholesome in the way that we talk and live. So this uh, pastor, Dudley Ford, gave this really interesting illustration. Uh, he's a very old man and I think he gave this sermon in 1980 and he said 30 years ago. So in 1950, he went to a Christian conference. And apparently at this Christian conference where they were staying in, they had dinner. And the meal was served, I don't know what they served in Australia in 1950, probably no Asian food, right? Probably fish and chips or meatloaf or, I don't know, steak and kidney pie, whatever. But they found that there was no salt in the food. So they said, oh, okay. the cook's forgotten the salt. So they went around to look for the salt shakers to put salt on the food. Then they couldn't find any salt shakers. All the salt shakers were missing. Only pepper, right? So then they went to the kitchen. And they went to the kitchen to try to find the boxes of salt. Again, they couldn't find the salt. And 
as a result, they couldn't finish the meal because there was no salt, right? Can you imagine eating fish and chips with no salt? Or eating a meat loaf with no salt? It's like very tasteless, right? It's very unappetizing. And then they went to the talk and then the speaker says, I'm the culprit. I'm the one who told the cook not to put the salt in the food. I was the one who took all the salt shakers. I was the one who removed the salt from the kitchen. And why? Because the talk was on the importance of being salty. Right? That we must, we must present Christianity in a way, we must live Christianity in a way that makes it attractive to people, which, which, which adds flavor. People want to, to have some. So I remember this, uh, Dudley Ford gave this interesting illustration. He says, there's a saying that you, can't, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Have you heard that before? You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And this Dali Ford said, Yes, you can make the horse drink. How can you make the horse drink? Give it a salt tablet. Right? Make it thirsty. And I think in a way it's true, isn't it? Because in the way that we live, people will see us and we think, I want some of that. Right? It's, as you walk, as you talk, as you live, you are a walking advertisement of Jesus Christ. Because you are united with Jesus Christ. And that's what the idea of being salty in terms of seasoning is in our life. But it's not just that. Salt is also a preservative. Uh, in the next slide. Uh, the next one. Right? And the idea here is, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And also in chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians, I think it's a very similar idea, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, we are, we are not to go down to the level of this world, right? Tell dirty jokes, to, to, to flirt with colleagues. We're not to have sexual innuendo. We're not to lie or to gossip or to swear. But we are to be different from the world. We are to be wholesome, and stop the corruption in the world. And that's part of being wise in the world. So that when people see us, it is attractive as Christians. It is wholesome. It is, it is good. So I think for ourselves, we have to really think of all of us here are a walking billboard for Jesus. See, I was reading this other book and uh, this guy was saying that many people think of evangelism this way, right? So he calls it the aquarium or the fishbowl evangelism. So you invite your friends to the church and the church is the fishbowl okay, or the aquarium. And the, and the pastor is the fisherman so I throw the hook out into the audience and I hope to hook someone in the audience who is not a Christian. Okay, so that's the idea of evangelism for many people. Just bring the person to church and let that pastor handle it or let Sweet Thing handle it. Okay? Or we think of ambush evangelism where we like, you know, okay, we go out there and we're like those people who want to sell credit cards, right? Just got, someone just got me on Wednesday. I, I, you know, they always, this guy was very smart, right? I was going up the escalator. So there he is. I can't turn around, right? I, and like, so, so they, I, I won't tell you the brand because I might get sued, right? Uh, do you have this uh, credit card? No. Oh, we have this special one. I want you to sit down, right? So some people think like that, isn't it? Like Christian, uh, evangelism, that, they ask, uh, I've just got a few questions about uh, religion. You want to answer those few questions? So the person's not ready for it, right? Then they ambush you with evangelism. But this guy was saying, he says we have lifestyle evangelism. Okay, it's a very old book. Lifestyle evangelism. And that's what this passage is talking about. We are involved in lifestyle evangelism. The way we live, the way we talk, 
presents opportunities for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not just ambushing people, complete strangers. It is not bringing them to church on Sunday. It is bringing the gospel to them 24 hours, 7 days a week as you live as a Christian. So, when you look at yourself, are you a salty Christian? Are you a gracious Christian? Well, unfortunately, statistically, no. Right? Because I have another book here, and uh, it's a, a statistics of uh, some survey they did in Australia. And uh, it's very interesting. If you have a look at this slide up here. Oh, is it too small for you? It is, huh? I can't make it any bigger. I don't have my laptop. But anyway, uh, let me read it to you. The first column uh, says, uh, it's a survey of all the denominations in Australia, uh, regardless of whether they are uh, evangelical or not. What happened to my pointer thing? I don't have any more. Okay, doesn't matter. But the first column says the percentage of people comfortable with discussing their faith. That means if someone came up to you and asked you, why are you a Christian? How many percent of you would say, yes, I'm comfortable to share why I'm a Christian? And the average is 43%. Right? Some are more, some are less. Uh, the lowest is the Uniting Church. I think the highest is the Christian and Missionary... Oh, Christian Revival Crusade. Well, obviously, right? Uh, some, uh, and uh, the second column is to how many percent of people in churches look for opportunities? That means they are wise. Right? They, they, are, they are looking out for opportunities. So they want to snap up opportunities right, to share the gospel. And the average is only 13%. Right? Ranging from the least, which is uh, uniting and reform, to the most, which is, I think, the Assemblies of God, I think. Oh no, four square gospel. Don't know who they are. But so that means that only only thirteen percent, one in every ten people in church look for opportunities. But the Bible says if you are in Christ, we make the most of every it means everybody, one in ten uh, not ten out of ten of you should be looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Right? And only one out of every two are comfortable sharing their faith. But actually the Bible says that all of us should know how to answer everyone. So I want to really challenge you. Are you making the most of opportunities to share the gospel of people? It is part of being united in Jesus. It is part of walking in Jesus Christ. That we share the gospel of people. That we are wise in the way that we live. That we are salty. That we are gracious. In conclusion, I think that uh, this is a very powerful reminder for me because when I look at my life, I'm failing in so many areas in my prayer and evangelizing as well. There's so many opportunities that I miss out there because I'm not looking for them. Right? Maybe I'm looking for the cheap travel fare, but I'm not looking to share with people. So John Calvin uh, said this, uh, it's quoted by uh, Jerry Packer, which was quite scary to me. He said it would be, John Calvin said this of Christian ministers, it would be better for him to fall down and break his neck while going up to the pulpit to preach if he would not be the first to follow God. And uh, it's quite scary, isn't it? Because he's saying that uh, as a minister, I have to live or embody the word that I preach. I have to live in the world that I preach. I think it's true for all of us, isn't it? It should be a scary message for all of us. That if we live in Jesus, if we walk with Jesus, prayer and evangelism are not optional extras, if you're really into it, if we feel like it, but it's part of the Christian life. So as you live your life, truly be devoted to prayer. 
and be wise in the way that you act to outsiders. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that we will see that every one of us here is united in Christ. We have died in Christ, we've been baptized in Christ, we've been risen with Christ, and that we look forward to His return. And dear Father, as we live in Jesus, as we walk and live in Him, help us to see that we need to be devoted to prayer, we need to wrestle with prayer, we need to be really focused and applied in our praying. Help us to be watchful, mindful that Jesus could return at any time, that time is short, but also thankful, thankful that we are saved. Pray that we will help us to see that open doors are so necessary, that those things are really important when, in light of Jesus' return. And dear Father, help us with our own lives to make the most of every opportunity, to be gracious, to speak of grace, to be salty, to make our lives interesting and a, and a good example of being a Christian, but also to be, to be wholesome in the way that we live and we speak. So indeed, we will know how to answer everyone and we, that we may save people if it is part of your will. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.